Good afternoon, and welcome to Spokane Public Radio's Northwest Arts Review, a half hour exploring the people, places, and events forming the rich arts tapestry we enjoy here in the Inland Northwest and our wider Intermountain Northwest region. I'm Jim Tavenin, pleased to be your guide on this journey. Today, a celebration of that notorious poetic form, the limerick and an introduction to Spokane Valley artist Riker Murdoch. Music this time is from our recent Second Tuesday Piano Bench featuring Eastern Washington University students. This is Northwest Arts Review. Archie Chen and Rona Gouldson Chen are two pianists and teachers we claim as our own here in the Inland Northwest. Their lives and hearts are divided between Spokane and Dublin, Ireland, where they head the Piano Academy of Ireland, founded by Rona. The Academy sponsors a yearly limbrick writing contest that concluded last week. Anticipating the contest submission deadline, Fern Wyndham went to the source for more information, talking with Dr. Matthew Potter of Limerick, Ireland, director of the Limerick Museum, author of The Curious Story of the Limerick, and judge of the Limerick competition. Here's some of their conversation. Um, in 2013, the Limerick Writer Centre, whose director was Dominic Taylor, asked me to research and write a book on the history of Limerick, which is called The Curious Story of the Limerick. And the third edition of this book has come out um, since 2019. So in the course of my research, which is set out in the book, I discovered that the Limerick poem is associated with Limerick, but at the moment we don't know exactly why it got the name Limerick. There were a group of poets in 18th century County Limerick called the Meg Poets, called after the River Meg, and they used the Limerick format in writing poetry and sometimes it's thought that they gave their name to it but in actual fact of course the limerick itself is of much older origin it goes back to the 13th century and it's mainly associated with the english language but here in um, limerick we're very proud of the connection with the limerick because we're the only place in the world that i'm familiar with which gives its name to a poetic form and the other interesting thing is that the limerick is one of the only, if not the only, poetic form that's uh, indigenous to the English language. Most other forms of poetry, uh, such as, for example, the sonnet, were borrowed from Italian or, or, and then other languages, uh, Latin, French, so on. So the thing that's of interest about, to, about the limerick is that it has attracted some of the greatest writers down through the years. Some of the great luminaries of, of literature have written limericks. People like, of course, Edward Lear would be known as the father of the Limerick. There's also um, a number of important figures uh, such as James Joyce, Rudyard Kipling, Robert Louis Stevenson. They were all involved in writing Limerick. I think one of the problems with the Limerick uh, traditionally was that it was associated with body and vulgar sentiments. And I think for that reason, not merely in Ireland, but in all over the, the world, the English-speaking world, it didn't find its way onto the school curriculum. I think uh, also because, as you say, it was regarded as being beneath uh, the dignity 
of an educator to actually make use of the Limerick. It has suffered a lot, I think, from the sort of the low company it has kept over the years, you know, because um, I think its connection with body and its connection with vulgarity, and I think a, a few people have suggested over the years it's associating with the what they would have called the tavern and the public house. I think all of these have made the Limerick slightly suspect because I think there is a sense then that it, it doesn't enjoy the same status, perhaps, as other poetic forms. Dr. Matthew Potter, who wrote this book, The Curious History of the Limerick, and who, by the way, is the judge for this particular limerick competition, which is causing he and I to have this conversation. Are limerick competitions, uh, do they exist elsewhere other than this one? Does that often happen? Oh, yes. Um, well, there's one organized annually by Dominic Taylor of the Limerick Writers' Centre. And um, it's an international competition and it attracts entries from all over the world. And I suppose it's fair to say that Dominic Taylor and myself, we have done more than anyone in recent decades to promote the Limerick. Although there were Limerick competitions in the late 60s and early 70s in Limerick as well. And um, I suppose... To some extent, the Limerick, it's a prophet that's not honoured in its own land. It's probably better known in other parts of the world sometimes than it is in Limerick itself. And, um, and as I say, I think part of that problem is, is the fact that it was considered as almost an inferior form of, of poetry. As a few people said, it's the poetic form of the people. I'm just looking here now at a good example of a modern limerick now. Um, yeah, this is one of my favourite ones. Um, it's by Clement Attlee, the British Prime Minister from 1945 to 1951 and architect of the British Welfare State. And he was a man who was frequently underestimated because, of course, he, he compared um, unfavourably in some people's minds with Winston Churchill because he was a much more a low-key figure. But he was shower of honours. He became a companion of honour, which is initially uh, CH, Order of Merit, OM. And he was then given a hereditary peerage and a nice, uh, he was made a knight of the garter. And he described uh, his career in the following limerick. He said, A few thought he was even a starter. There were many who thought themselves smarter. But he finished PM, a CH and OM, an earl and a knight of the garter. Strangely enough, I have never written a limerick. <clears throat> I, I write about um, about the, the poetic form, but I haven't actually ever written a limerick. But I, I would like to finish with um, a, a, a limerick um, myself, um, which is about St. Patrick. And it was written by a very good friend of mine, a limerick poet called Brian J. Slattery. And the poem is called St. Patrick. And it goes like this. St. Patrick is known far and wide for the shamrock and the trinity inside. And his long coat of green could often be seen on his ass while having a ride. (laughs) 
Limerick, Ireland is a sister city of Spokane, so it's entirely appropriate that we hear a few local contributions to the art of the Limerick. Now, you need to know that in Spokane, we have the D&D, we have the Limerick Kings, and that is Dan Webster and uh, Dick Warwick. Dan Webster, you know, is the host of Movies 101. You hear him every Friday night. And Dick Warwick, the cowboy poet of Rosalia, who also has done a lot of Australian poetry and participates in the annual Cowboy Poetry Festival in Nevada and many things. And they are a limerick duo. Dan Webster, when he was working full-time for the Spokesman Review, started an annual limerick contest in the newspaper, which lamentably is not still happening. But here was the sequence of piano limericks that they created for me since yesterday. Dan opened with 88 keys black and white make music that gives me the right to claim concert fame to earn me my aim of playing like Mozart tonight. Thank you, Dan. As answered back by Dick Warwick, my piano is small and electric, making notes that are often quite synthetic. One fine virtuoso said, It maketh me oh so distraught, angry, and apoplectic. Okay, then Dan came back. Vern was a small city mayor who dreamed of being a player. On stage or off, a real Rachmaninoff whose piano was his means of prayer. To which Dick replied, A pianist who lived in Dune, Lungary, often played until he was weary. But Miss McLeod's reel, he said, make him feel upbeat and exceedingly cheery. To which he also entered, A pianist surnamed O'Connor was accorded a prestigious honor. When he played Vicar Street, the crowd rose to its feet, though ragtime was his chosen genre. And then let's see, he couldn't stop himself, so he has a couple more. He has one more here. Here's our final uh, one for the radio. We relish the fiddle and bow and the Irish harp dulcet and low. Ten whistles are sweet with the boudrin's deep beat, but I love the pie Annie O. More on the Piano Academy of Ireland and its limerick competition are at pianoacademy.ie. The Piano Bench program on KPBX has, for the past three months, welcomed music major students from Eastern Washington University to share their musical gifts with us. From this week's visit, we now present this bit of music from Clara Schumann's Piano Trio in G minor. Performers are sophomore Dominic Trace, violin, senior Spencer McConaughey, cello, and graduate student Carly Bear, piano. Thank you. 
Eastern Washington University students recorded in our KPBX Performance Studio. You can experience their whole set of performances as a podcast at SpokanePublicRadio.org, where you can also find this program, Northwest Arts Review. Spokane Valley-based artist Riker Murdoch was born and raised in southeast Idaho on a ranch outside of Blackfoot, surrounded by an abundance of wide-open spaces. The area I grew up in is a lot of flat farmland with some mountains off in the distance, and uh, there's not many cities around. So uh, I was surrounded by these just vast landscapes all growing up. I think that's what kind of drove me to be a landscape artist. Because mm-hmm. I've always had these beautiful landscapes around me. And, I mean, granted, the ones up here are a lot better, you know, up in Spokane. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so I think that's what got me going that way. Well, it's it's certainly big scenery because you are in between, pretty much halfway between Idaho Falls and Pocatello. And mm-hmm. a, a sort of a not terribly near neighbor, but in your vicinity is the Craters of the Moon. And about the same distance in the opposite direction takes you over into Yellowstone. So it's a, mm-hmm. it relates to, into Grand Teton. So it's, it's a fascinating part of the country, and it is certainly big. Are there things about that kind of landscape that you find most appealing or that attracted you to try to capture them especially? Not especially. In all reality, I, I find interest in all different kinds of landscapes, not any one particular. Um, looking at my pieces, you say we got one you know, like a tree in the lake, I got one of the lighthouse in the ocean, another one of the carnival, you know, and then I've got one snowy mountains up in Sandpoint, and a whole bunch of different ones. So mm-hmm. it's not any one type that I really gravitate towards. Sure. Tell us a little bit about uh, art and its place in your life when you were growing up. Did you uh, constantly have a pencil in your hand? Yeah, my mom uh, was always saying that she couldn't keep enough uh, paper in the house for me to draw on, and I was always doodling and stuff like that. And uh, I grew up watching uh, PBS. So I grew up watching Bob Ross and Mark Kistler and a few others that were on there, and and I actually still watch a few of those too. <laughs> but uh, I was always just doodling and and stuff like that. And then when I got into high school, I really delved into a few art classes. At that point, what media were you learning about working in besides pencil drawings? Uh, Pencil drawing, I did a little bit of watercolor. Um, That's pretty much it. I didn't really get into acrylics until about five, six years ago. Okay. Now, did you go ahead and uh, do college study of art? Uh, No, I am self-taught. Oh, okay. Very good. What has been among the, the most challenging things for you to to work on? One of the biggest things that I really focus on is detail. I like high detail, but not like the realism. And so it's trying to capture that detail in the different pieces that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. That really presents a challenge because I don't stick to one type of scene that I'm painting. You know, I kind of go back and forth between some fantasy and some just regular landscape stuff and some architectural things, and so it's trying to find the detail, level of detail that I like in each of those that mm-hmm. presents the challenge. All right. And, and, then bal- and then balancing that with the rest of the painting. I'm curious. I'm looking at a page of your work, and uh, this is on uh, a website of fineartamerica.com, 
And mm-hmm. I'm curious about one thing in, say, for example, the uh, the lighthouse picture that you have here, and also there's one that is at Grand Teton, the Teton Sunset print. Typically, mm-hmm. what are you working from when you get started? The range being from being there, doing the plain air thing, to uh, looking at photographs. How do you approach your subjects that way? Personally, I don't do plain air. I've, I've wanted to get into that. I just haven't had the time to. I do my best to take reference photos myself or from photographers that I know. And if I can't get those, then I just go and find some, you know, uh, rights free free rights photos online for reference. You mm-hmm. know, that's pretty much it. Like the Tetons, I grew up around them. You know, on a clear morning, you could look out, look out my parents' house and see them way off in the distance. Mm-hmm. Been up to Jackson a lot, you know. Uh, the lighthouse piece, I just took a generic lighthouse photo off the web and used it as a reference for the lighthouse itself. But the rest of the scenery was kind of just a mix-up of, like, you know, waves in general and rocks and stuff like that. Right. The majority of what you do is in the general category of being landscape. Are there any other mm-hmm. kind of influences or any other kinds of directions that you like to go in terms of adding bits of fantasy or uh, do you stick primarily to kind of an adjusted realistic style? I'm dipping my toe into fantasy for the first time starting last year-ish. Actually, in the 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, I started doing the book cover for, for Mitch Klein, but even my fantasy work is still landscape fantasy work mm-hmm. and so i think it's it, overall it's landscape but with a fantasy flyer sometimes you know so that's something actually i again i'm looking at a picture of yours from that website dark fair mm-hmm. print and yes. it seems as though there's something there's something oddly disturbing about the uh, the picture <laughs> Because it yeah. shows tents that could be carnival tents. They're good size. But in the background, there are like rides. There's a Ferris wheel and something that looks rather like a roller coaster that had been under siege, that there are parts yeah. and pieces missing. Tell us a little bit about uh-huh. that. So that was originally for a book by uh, another author, and the book was never never came to fruition um and i was working on that for and she decided not to do the book at that time and she still gave me the permission to go ahead and use the ideas that we had talked about Mm -hmm. um but it's basically a carnival that is ran by demons if you will Ah. and in street lights in regular you know artificial light you see the facade or the, the fake, you know, the fake face of it. Mm-hmm. And under the moonlight, you see what it really is. Ah, uh, okay. You know, it's kind of like a trap, mm-hmm. you know, for, for um, you know, unwitting host uh, victims. And so the idea behind this one was you look at it and you see, like, cotton candy on the ground. You see ice cream. You see popcorn. And you see uh, different eyes off in the distance and stuff like that. And the, the, the feel of it is that something has just happened. We don't know what. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of disappeared. And whatever they were holding just kind of fell to the ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's disturbingly quiet. 
And, you know, you know, in all my years of art, I've always wanted to do something abandoned like that and kind of creepy. And so in coming up with it, I kind of took my worst nightmares and what I would think would be an abandoned carnival would be like, and I just put them on canvas. Mm-hmm. So. All right, all right. Uh, nice, nice work with that. Uh, congratulations. That's definitely a favorite. The, mm-hmm. the original... Um, actually is with a collector out here in the Valley, so they, they really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Is there um, a kind of subject matter that is something that you'd kind of drop everything and just go do that rises very much to the top for you? Not really. Oh, okay. Uh, as you can see, because I'm looking at the same page you are, mm-hmm. just for reference, and uh, it's kind of whatever catches my eye at that time mm-hmm. or if I'm doing a commission you know whatever's requested so. right are you currently or are you hoping to exhibit someplace um, I do exhibit when I can mm-hmm. um, I had unfortunately because of the pandemic um, last year was me my year too because I had a show set up every month for the entire year mm. and unfortunately because of the pandemic I wasn't able to do that um, but I'm still working towards it. Um, mm-hmm. I've got my exhibit up right now in Yokes in on Indian Trail Road, okay, in And right now I've got plans for Wiley's Downtown Beach Show in August, and then Spokane Comic Con in October. Mm-hmm. So um, that's all I got planned for this year. I've got a couple of big projects I'm working on right now. But uh, after I get done with uh, my current commission, I'm going to be doing quite a few large, larger format pieces okay in terms of larger what size are we talking about with those uh i kind of defaulted my uh preferred size to around the 24 by 36 Mm -hmm. and i think the smallest i'm going right now is like an 18 by 24 Mm -hmm. but the largest one i'm working on now that's kind of inspired by uh midges book credit order is a dragon realm piece and it's a 36 by 48 okay so it's it's, it's fairly large, sizable, oh, right? Well, yeah. we look forward to uh, to seeing your work and uh, wish you well as you undertake a, you. new things, uh, new challenges on your horizon. So, Riker Murdoch, I always I love new challenges. So. All right, that's that's great, Riker Murdoch. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today, and uh, again, we look forward to following your work. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Samples of Riker Murdoch's work are available at fineartamerica.com. Thanks for listening to Northwest Arts Review. I'm Jim Tevenin. Help today came from Vern Windham. We're grateful as well for the contributions of Dr. Matthew Potter, Riker Murdoch, also Dr. Jody Graves, and our talented crew of Eastern Washington University musicians, one of whom, Tanya Ballman, takes us out with some Joseph Haydn. Join us again next week for another Northwest Arts Review on Spokane Public Radio.